0: Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me your host Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it and I've been investing my time occasionally on a Friday to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of i have to to the freedom of i choose to and i've shared some conversations some tips some tools about how you might want to invest your own time your own energy your own attention how you might want to if you choose to make some changes to your identity how you might have freedom from i have to and design a life around i choose to if that's of interest to you then this is the podcast for you in season 2 I'm going to be exploring some experts and asking them what freedom means for them and trying to help people work to live and not live to work. Trying to help people add life to their years and not just years to their life. So let's dive on in and here's season two. Welcome to this week's episode of the Freedom Fridays podcast. I have uh, a really interesting guest, and all my guests are interesting, of course. But my guest today, uh, a lady called Helena Clayton, who lives in the UK, is, I'm hoping I can ask the right questions to get her to talk about something that is rarely talked about, certainly in our our corporate world. But let's see if we can get there. So, uh, Helena, welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast. Nice to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much. It is very, very good to be here,
0: um, Helena. I start with the same question. In the the line of work that you do, what does freedom mean?
1: And I do, I do love this question um, <laughs> because it's got me thinking about it for myself as well. So I work in, I work in organizations as a coach. And I also uh, work in leadership development, so designing and running leadership development programs for um, all sectors. So I think freedom is two things in that work. Um, I think in my coaching, it's, well, perhaps across the piece, I think it's about helping people see that that they have choices and options more than they know or more than they think or feel they do. Uh, So I think it's the freedom comes from just inviting people to see a much wider range of options and possibilities. Mm -hmm. And that also includes not just options to act, but new ways of seeing things, seeing the world, seeing their beliefs, seeing themselves. So I think freedom from stack stack ways or limited ways, Mm -hmm. uh, narrow ways of seeing things. And also, and this is becoming increasingly important to me, and I'm not entirely sure I have the words for it, but something about, um, I have a a sense that many of us, not all, um, have ended up living rather dry lives, perhaps small um, or shades of grey. And clearly this isn't true for everybody. Um, And I... Think that there is something about, um, and that is a stuckness. And I think freedom is also about um, helping people live lives, construct live lives that are full of um, richness, that are technicolor, not shades of gray, that are multi-stranded, multicolored. And that includes um, uh, having a life that nourishes us, that we feel, fully alive in and uh, where you know feelings or emotions like aliveness or joy or love these are really um, front and center I have a colleague um, who is from the corporate world and she uh, she said recently she has chosen to put joy at the center of her life and things are completely different as a result and you know that I do some work exploring love and so there Mm. is something for me about if we put love at the centre of our life, then what, well, for this podcast, what kind of freedoms might that be? What might be possible? What other choices might be? Just, so a bit of a long, waffly answer, but that's no. where your question Helena, takes
0: me. That, that, I, we, chat, we chatted a little bit about before we started, and and what what continues to fascinate me and inspire me is when I have a guest like you, and I've done about 50 out of these, and I tell them my style, which is I'm just going to ask one question, and we'll take it from there. And I've never ever been disappointed or left with what am I going to talk about now?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Because how you've answered that, there's probably five or six conversations we could have just in some of the things that you mentioned. And I'm going to have to think carefully because there's many things I want to pick up on. I may to have to think carefully about where we start. Um, but thank you. That's a that's a great introduction to freedom from all of those previously held constraints. And I love the freedom from shades of grey.
1: Mm, well, and and what's come up for me hearing you talk there is is a really strong image. When I coach people, and here, for example if I make an amalgam of many many of my coaching clients who start work at seven in the morning they finish at uh, seven at night they spend two hours with their kids then they go back online to finish off their work Um, and when I say something like how do you feel about that they kind of say oh that's not okay and when I gently sort of explore so what might you want to be different the sense of fear or terror of actually um changing anything in those structures feels to me like such a prison you know so i i just have this sense as we're talking about we put ourselves in cages of our own making sometimes Um, so there's something about freedom it's like how do we help people find a key to i don't know open the door yeah (laughs)
0: Something like that. And I think the irony is the door's probably already unlocked.
1: Right.
0: But we just don't know it. Yeah. And, you know, your example, I I resonate with, actually, because I'm probably in a camp. And like we talked about before, we've all, certainly you and I in this conversation, have done things over the years to look into why we do things and our belief systems and patterns. And I certainly have a pattern where if I'm not doing something or if I'm not busy or if I'm not seeming to do something that's important, it strikes a fear and (laughs) I would even go as far as to say a terror in, well, I start to panic a little bit.
1: I agree, I'm with you on that,
0: yeah. And part of me knows that that's what's driven me, but the other side of it is, well, and yeah, it's terrifying, that's not okay. And, and yeah. toggling between them is a real, it's a real mental challenge, certainly for me.
1: Yeah. Yes, I, I, uh, I wrote a, a blog not too long ago about um, tight and loose. You know, I, I live my life in quite a tight way. I, and part of my own development really is to learn to live in a more loose way, um, in a more kind of free-flowing, uh, yeah, and it's a challenge. I find it hard to let go and to allow in more space and to yes, it's hard for me for sure.
0: I think you'll find this quite intriguing, Helena. Um I did a little bit of research on your background and I looked at some of your blogs and you can guess which blog I was drawn to.
1: Was it the tight and loose one?
0: Tight and loose one. <laughs> Uh, which I'll put in the show notes for people that are interested, but I just thought it was, it just drew me. And I thought that's a fascinating way to look at it. Mm. Mm. So you, your start got me thinking about, I wonder what I'm putting at the center of my life. Cause I'd love to hear you mm. first of all, maybe, maybe tell that if, if we can, the story of your client that put joy at the center,
1: mm. what
0: did they do? How did they go about it? How long before they, Recognized results, and then maybe we can dive into the what if we put love at the center of something? Yeah,
1: lovely. So it wasn't a client, uh, she's a colleague, and okay. um, <clears throat> yes, uh, and 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 I don't know what she did, although I do know that over the last uh 18 months, her life has had lots and lots of change in it, you know, um, uh she yeah I mean there was lockdown she developed this amazing new online program she decided to to stop doing her PhD um she um separated from her husband you know so there was so much big big upheaval so I think there's something too about and um you know your 21 whispers name is is so right you know I think life shouted at her very very loudly and it is interesting to me what it is that allows us to have freedom. Sometimes it is a huge disturb, yeah. you know, a kind of a catalyst or a, um, um, there's a word I'm reaching for and I can't find it, but sometimes it takes a big um, a piece of upheaval, sometimes ha- things that happen to us from the outside to really enable us to connect with what matters most to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so i think life happened to her in in yes. some ways yes um, and when the you know when stuff cleared I, I don't know if she found joy in the middle of it or or decided to put it in there but mm-hmm. you're right some you know what if we decided to put love at the center of our of our life what might be possible mm-hmm.
0: what's, and, well, what's what's been your, your... Uh, well i'm, I'm int- I, I don't know i'm reflecting i wonder if I don't think it's not love because like, you know, certainly the people that I, you know, go around with my friends, my family, sadly, probably more as they come to the end of their days, they go, you know, it's all about love. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's front and center. It's it's in, it's in the mix, but I wouldn't say it's front and center. I wonder, you know, I'm reflecting off the top of my head. here. I haven't rehearsed this at all. I'm wondering if it's something about, so what shows up for me is busyness, doing rather than necessarily just being, busyness. And I wonder if there's something that sits beneath that around significance or worth. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally on the top of my tongue here thinking, I wonder if it's then got something to do with self-love. Mm-hmm. In, in a holistic sense, obviously not in a narcissistic sense. And so I wonder if you can share with us your understanding and the research that you've done about love. Mm. I'm gonna guess it probably hits a few Mm. raw nerves at times. What, if any, place does love have at work? Yeah, that really
1: is the question at the heart of my inquiry, really. So, if I pick up on a couple of things you've said there um, so one thing that comes up through the research is just how love is such a provocative problematic difficult word to use in 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 a working organizational context yeah. and uh, <clears throat> the bit of research I've done and the ongoing conversations I have with people when I run workshops etc um, is really mixed there's this there's a sense of and this came through the research uh, there's a sense of like duh, love is such a core human need. We are hardwired for love. How can it not also be? I don't know, relevant or um, there in the workplace, right? Uh, it, it just is such a. Um, it's the river that runs through all of us. That's that's one um, mm. take, um, and other people though a fewer, but but others also just. Have a very strong categorical no that love does not have a place in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, love is private, um, it's personal, okay. um, and quotes from the research have been things like, um, "Love requires that I am vulnerable. Vulnerability is a weakness, and weakness does not belong in the work." So mm-hmm. there's a link between you know vulnerable mm-hmm. weakness, and that's not okay at work. So um, it's really tricky to bring into the workplace, and. Okay. Um, uh, but yet, though, when I speak to groups about loving organisations, many, many people sit forward on their seats. Hmm. Uh, more people than not are uh, want to move towards that conversation rather than away from it. Um, so I definitely think there is an interest. Um, and then there's the kind of, yeah, but how do we do this? How do we yeah. um, bring or talk about... Uh, love in the workplace. And I intentionally use the word love. I, um, when I first started doing this research and said to people, colleagues, friends, colleagues surprised me particularly, I am going to look at love at work. And it was an, oh sure, but you don't mean love, right? You'll be looking at um, compassion or empathy. I said, no, no, I'm definitely going to look at love. And somebody else said, okay, but you'll end up talking about engagement. I said, I definitely won't. So <laughs> yeah. even you know, that we're okay, get or well, we're starting to get okay in using words like compassion or empathy. Yeah. But I'm 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 kind of holding fast to love because it is much more bold.
0: It is.
1: So a real mixed response actually from from folks, and understandably, mm. right? Because it's um we are so uh, Guarded and armoured in work, that it it is understandably really tricky to um, then um, bring in some of the softer uh, emotions. And love isn't always soft. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. I understand the difficulty about it.
0: And so, how would you explain to someone, if indeed there is, and if indeed there is in the workplace, the difference between love and, say, empathy?
1: Yeah. So in the research I did, uh, I said to people, uh, what do you mean by love at work or love in what do you mean by love, especially as it relates to the workplace? And I ended up with six kind of buckets of um, uh, responses. Um, also, five, I'll, I'll look it out in a tick. So the first one was a bucket called care. Um, mm-hmm. Understandably, right? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, sure, that makes sense. So that was empathy compassion nurture um all the kind of soft um soft words associated with with love so it was care second came listening so people felt that being i know right being fully present and really being listened to fully was an act of love so that came out as the second kind of biggest bucket to be Really present for somebody to give them your full attention felt deeply loving. So, so
0: it, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. And the reason I'm saying yeah. it's fascinating is my own takes. So obviously, I, I'm recording this from Australia, you're in the UK. I mm-hmm. deal mainly with clients and people in Australia. Um, the biggest need that I'm seeing that's not really spoken about, and it's my own assumption. In almost everyone I'm working with is they're not seen, they're not heard, and they're not held. So there's there's all, and I'm, I'm not saying desperation, but there's this need that's unmet about being seen, being heard, and being held. And maybe that's just my interpretation of there's a need to be loved.
1: I I, I love what you just said there, I, and it resonates for me very much so. Um, to be seen, to be heard, to be heard, yes. And I think if we can do that for somebody, I think that's loving. Um, And I often use the word loving because uh, there's a lovely academic, (coughs) Stefan Cantore here in the UK, and he will often use um, an ing, you know, a, a, a verb. So he will talk rather than love, he'll talk about loving, and I'll sometimes talk about acts of love. I think that is loving. I think that's an act of love to really, See here and hold somebody. Definitely, I love that. Mm.
0: You, you you've said yeah. there, was there were six Do you yes. refer to so, the other four?
1: Yeah. So listening was the second one. The mm. third one, I think there were five actually. The third one was some version of generosity, or okay. uh, and this isn't the best word to use, but sacrifice. So something about putting your needs second, putting somebody else first, putting aside your own stuff to attend to somebody else, really putting them first. Um, And that is tricky because many folks already do too much of that. You know, they abandon themselves in service of somebody else. So that's a tricky one. But nevertheless, that's what came up in the research. Um, The fourth one, and this is where the love is not soft stuff comes up, Mm. is that, again, it was so clear that love is also about um, having a very strong no Setting boundaries, um, saying that's not okay, um, protecting yourself, protecting others, giving difficult feedback or tough messages. So, so that was. I mean, I don't like the phrase "tough love" at all, but it's sort yeah. of in that territory. It's, yeah. it's, um, it's, it's boundaries. It's, it's a very strong noun. And then the fifth one. There were just five. I'm pretty sure the fifth one was. Um, uh, acceptance of the warts and allness of us right um recognizing we are flawed um we have a shadow side we do things we don't like we do th- other people do things we don't like um yeah that we are flawed and broken and damaged people and um we mess up so there's something about really um accepting everything that we are and everything that the other person is. So care and empathy and compassion was just one part of it.
0: Yeah, um, interesting.
1: And I think there are, you know, there are other elements too that didn't come up in the research, but I thought about a lot since, which is, you know, there's also forgiveness. That's a form of love. You know, that's an act of love. I think creating hope. Um uh, and offering hope to people or to, yep. to yourself, that's an act of love. Yep. Um, so I think there are other dimensions too, but yeah, that's my
0: did it did your exploration touch or how did it touch on a concept of self love
1: mm. oh, right it didn't, mm-hmm. but what is interesting is um Whenever I run, so I have tried to set up some workshops, exploring love in the workplace. Um, and I've run several and many. But what keeps coming up time and time again is that people are less interested. It's not quite true, but they, well, let me say it anyway. They're perhaps less interested in talking about um, organizational love. Because what we keep, what keeps coming up is self-love. Um, so, you know, of course, there's the adage that uh, we can only love the world or others to the extent that we love ourselves. Yeah. But people recognise that, um, for example, radical acceptance uh you know, that final one, it, it's so self-acceptance is perhaps the hardest part of that, you know, or having compassion for self, talk about having care and empathy and compassion for others. Actually, how do we have compassion for ourselves? How do we mm. um, soften the voice of our, often in my case anyway, vicious inner critic? You know, So uh, how do we um, put in practices or um, time to be kind to ourselves. So that's very often where
0: the conversation goes. Mm-hmm. I can imagine many people, me included, putting self in front of all of the buckets that you suggested. Self-care, self-listening, self-sacrifice, self-setting boundaries, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness. And, and I wonder, I wonder in a practical sense, has your exploration offered any, and I know this is you know, covering it in such a minimalist way but any hints tips practical things one can do if one was interested in exploring how to love oneself better
1: mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah that's really nice um, well this co- often comes up in coaching and I bet it does in news too um, which is to start to work with somebody's inner critic um, okay. I think mm-hmm. two things are coming to me one is inner critic work so it's to recognize and acknowledge that we probably I would probably say we do all have one but that may not be true of course um but to recognize that it's really normal I can remember being on a workshop many years ago and talking to a group about how mean my inner critic was and a woman was in tears because she thought she was the literally the only person who had a voice in her head that was that was critical and demeaning and diminishing. And um, she was deeply, deeply moved um, to recognise that most people did. She wasn't weird. So I think there's something about um, acknowledging the RNA critic and then trying to understand its messages as not true and then finding a way to build up another voice, a voice that is um, more coaching, more encouraging, more nurturing, softer. Um, i know i that that's helped me enormously and the other is another one about recognition which is which comes from you know shadow it's recognizing that um each of us has parts of ourselves that are I don't know, kind compassionate. if i speak for me you know i have a part of me that is kind and compassionate and is a great listener and is um generous but i also have parts of me that are uh, jealous, vindictive, mm-hmm. um, cold, and withholding. So there's something about recognizing that. Again, that's just human, and welcoming, welcoming everything. So I think that is often where self love can start. It's big work, mind.
0: It, it is. Um, ha- has it been your experience that once you begin the walk, you just got to keep going?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of. Kind of, although that's that might imply that um, that I just have to keep working on myself forever because I'll never be right or perfect or fixed. Yeah. Um, but I think the journey is often so interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I think as long as we uh, do self-development work in the spirit of, oh, this is interesting, what can that show me about myself? As opposed to, I'm... I'm so broken and damaged, I have to
0: keep doing this till I'm better, then yes. Yeah. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, Helena, because it's, it's reminded me of something I've just literally read. It was because I was going through a, a bit of a challenge with my own inner critic and uh, I was telling and reinforcing a narrative about loneliness and being alone. And I don't know if you've come across uh, Michael Singer's work. Oh, do you
1: know, I have his first book and know it and, and that, that one, Living Untethered, is on my to buy list and I'll, I'll right. get it the minute we're off this call. I right, think.
0: because I've, I just read the first chapter and it was so helpful and enlightening. I'm going to try and paraphrase as best I can. So we have this inner critic. The fact that we can hear the inner critic means we're not the inner critic. And, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing massively, and he explains it really well, he gives some really good examples, and it just helped me step back from, yeah, that's not me. It, it, obviously, it's in my head, and it's a, a, a narrative inside my head somewhere, and it's there for a reason, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and welcome everything, but it's not me, and it was able to, it, I, it was really helpful in terms of me stepping back to and it leads to the question well who are you which is an impossible question to answer and I'm choosing not to answer that at the moment but what I am answering is well the inner critic is not me yeah. which I think is actually for me it's been really helpful to just detach a little bit and put the critic in the passenger seat not the driver's seat very nice
1: yeah yeah and you're reminding me of Michael Singer, actually, because in in his first book, The Untethered Soul, I think it's called, he he talks about the inner critic like a really irritating flatmate. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that you've got this lodger and it turns out to be the biggest pain in the backside because yeah. it is so kind of mean and, you know, but it just won't leave. <laughs> and I, I love that. It's like, yeah, yeah, this other person in my head. is isn't I love that piece, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Helena, you've mentioned many times and we'll put it in the show notes about the research that you've done on love in the workplace. Um, Would you maybe give us some of the headlines that you discovered?
1: Yeah. And through through other other conversations. So the first, I think, is that um, when I asked people, does love matter in the workplace? Sort of 90% plus said, yes, it does. Um, no. Yeah. Now, I recognize that's a slightly self-selecting group because they chose to answer my questionnaire. I done not do the same. If I did that randomly, um, <clears throat> I'm guessing it would be lower, but that's all right. Um, many people, though, said it was very difficult to talk about at work, of Go course. Um, we've talked about what the research showed um, people defined love as. But the other thing I asked about was what gets in the way of love being more present or talked about in the workplace. And I ran an event the other week called Blocks to Love. So Mm -hmm. this is also some of the interesting stuff for me in organizations. So one um, block um, is the pace we work at. You You talked about busyness. One is the pace we work about, we work at, and uh, I sometimes quote a U.S. pastor who said, "You can't be a hurried person and a loving person," and that is true for me.
0: <laughs> there's, there's a mic drop moment, Helena. I
1: know, right? You can't be a hurried person and a loving person. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So there's something about the pace we work at. Uh, there just isn't enough room for connection for love for contact for seeing and hearing people to to, mm. to come back to mm. each so so there's something about that also love is um unhelpfully associated with sex with romance yes. with religion yep. so again understandably folks might think well pff, it doesn't belong in work because none of those things belong mm-hmm.
0: um
1: a third block was um trauma. So um, mm. uh, there's some research from the UK, I think it's from the UK, no, may, may not only be, um, into uh, childhood trauma, which are called adverse childhood experiences, and they can be as ordinary but it comes as your parents divorcing when you're young through to, you know, um, being the victim of violence or sexual abuse, emotional and the research says that between 40 and 60% of us experience something like that. And what happens, as I know, what happens when we're a child is that we do whatever we can to keep safe. And yeah. that usually means um, cutting off from um, emotions that, that uh, we find difficult um, or that scare us. And so we shut down parts of ourselves. I'm, I'm no expert in this, and there'll be people listening who will be thinking that is... I could definitely explain it better, but we shut down parts of ourselves and we don't naturally bring them online again as we grow older. So for many of us, it's really difficult to connect with love when actually we had to do some fairly um, uh, strong things to protect ourselves when we were little. Um, So there's trauma and how that shows up and that kind of just gets in the way of us connecting deeply often. So the blocks are really interesting. Um, hmm. And also um, love is gendered. So love is seen as women's work. And is that um, right? yeah.
0: Yeah. In, and in, in what sense? So did the women say that and the men said that? Yep.
1: So um, a couple of things. Um, there's a uh, because love is usually associated with care, you know, that first bucket of the research care is seen as stuff women do so that's uh through the ages women have traditionally um, taken on more of the caring work at home children obviously but parents or um, mental load emotional load in a relationship um so love goes into 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 the same kind of thing well that's kind of that's women's work and of course the the workplace is not a woman's world it's predominantly a man's world so it means that love is not especially welcomed i mean this isn't explicit because it's women's stuff and women are not especially i mean this is perhaps stating it a bit too strong not especially welcomed equally in the workplace so yeah it's um and by far and away when i run workshops it's women who sign up it's women who come along and are interested in exploring love in the workplace. Wow. So yeah, I think it is. A, I think it is gendered. I mean, it isn't in terms of our um, natural, innate, hardwiring for yeah. love. Of course not. That that love isn't gendered at, at all. Um, but uh, in the workplace, you know, a, it being a blocker to why it isn't. I don't know, um, spoken about or. Um,
0: that there it's gendered in that sense. Which is which again staggers me. Um sadly doesn't surprise me. So what, what do you think's going on? Um, because if I reflect on most of my male relationships, um, you know, sometimes jokey, sometimes not, sometimes after a couple of beers, sometimes not, we would say pretty regularly, hey, I love you, mate. And so we use the words, I, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming that's what we mean, certainly what I mean, mm-hmm. but it would be at, at its fundamental core, with the same love, care, mm-hmm. listening, generosity, boundaries, acceptance, forgiveness, hope, that I'd love my mates with, that I'd love my family with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It might express itself differently because of the society we live in, but it feels like the same. And mm-hmm. I perhaps would maybe express it less to my mates than I would do to my wife, Chris. So what do you think prevents men
1: Mm.
0: from going beyond the, hey, hey, love you, love you, bro? We seem Uh, to touch the surface and that's it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's perhaps more a question for you, Pete, but I'm guessing it's something about uh and I'm really making a huge generalisation here that um, the uh, expectations that are put on boys to be strong and brave and um, to be strong and brave so and and not to show weakness and not to cry. So I'm guessing that must be a a big part of the root system. Mm. Uh, yeah, what, 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 what sense do
0: you make of that? What do you think might get in the way? I think that's definitely part of it. Um, my sense is that men more so, because obviously there's, there's a spectrum going on here, there's a continuum, uh, men more so, because of that root system, have had it um, shut down and yet still carry it. Yeah. And as we carry it in our later years, it becomes heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier until something, life happens, which causes it to, you know, open up and hopefully in many circumstances, but I know it's not, it, it opens up in a, a way that's containable in the sense of people can recover from and start to express and feel, love and loved and be loving but sadly i, I think many people wait too late until uh, you know a mate commits suicide or a family member dies or there's a traumatic accident at work and and we wait for those moments for us to kind of go hang on we've got a short life here i, I better get really expressing what's going on
1: yeah, right. And and it's often said, right, that the patriarchy and the way we've set things up doesn't serve men either. It doesn't serve women, but it, it really
0: does not serve men well either. That's the that's the, yeah. It's it staggers me, Helen. It absolutely staggers me that we mm-hmm. we continue to allow those things to happen. And and that's a really that's a very powerful thing for me to take on board. Actually, that the patriarchy doesn't suit me either. it doesn't help anyone really so it makes me wonder well who who specifically is is feeding that that it continues
1: yeah yeah right and and bringing it back to freedom it's like how are we like when I think of freedom I think of you know stuck and trapped and how are we all you know um stuck I mean not all clearly but how might we be stuck or trapped in a way of doing things which we are that that what well, we know we <laughs> i I tend to think quite darkly around um <clears throat> um the way the world is going. i, I don't think it's going to end well um, and and we 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 seem to be very stuck in ways that keep us on that track. so just in daily life, you know it's like how do we just gently help ourselves off
0: a track that is not helping us. Mm. And there'll be huge aspects of self-awareness to know that what we're doing is not helping us. Uh, I, I wrote a, a bit of a blog piece recently where, and I, I, you know, it's borrowed from different aspects of what we've all read, that every decision we make consciously or unconsciously is a vote for short-term or long-term, current self mm. or future self, the future or the past. And you can see that playing out in all aspects of our lives.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, love they, um, oh, a, I forget the the link, but there's there's a you know a, a really lovely um, thread which is about love is a choice. You know, um, it, it's like we, if we have cho- a, a zillion choice points through the day you know we can definitely think what's the loving thing to do here? Mm. Um, um, and that's where um, stefan's loving is 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 really helpful what what's the more loving thing to do in this moment yeah. um which can be a really lovely guiding principle and that's coming back to your question what if we put love at the, the center of our life you know that's yeah. that's not a bad question to filter things through
0: yeah I remember an old, I think it was a Stephen Covey quote, but he may have got it from somewhere else and actually changed, certainly with my intimate relationships, the way I view my contribution to the success of a relationship. And it was love as a verb. Because, you know, a, a young man growing up the way I grew up, love was something you kind of felt and thought, but you never expressed it. You never did anything to show an act of love. And when I came across that at a relatively young age, it completely changed, I think, for people that I was loving, their felt expression of what being loved by Pete was about.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. And, and you're absolutely right there. There's something about, um, you know, we're talking about love, but actually what we really are talking about is expressions of love. You know, what mm. you know what does that because um, I can have all the love I like in my heart but if it doesn't show itself in the world in our relationship or in something then what is the point so um, there's something about expressions of love or acts of love um, mm. that really is what matters I, I think mm. yeah thank mm. you for bringing that mm.
0: Helen I'm conscious of time and thank you for, mm. for your time I
1: I like to try and
0: finish uh, uh, in a relatively light way if I can, right. so I've got uh, just a few questions maybe just to close us off a little bit um, right. and feel free to ponder or give us your first first choice. <laughs> um, uh, just picking up on your last comment actually, do you have a favorite expression of love that you like to give? Hmm. I
1: think appreciation Okay. Uh, it, uh, very often, when I say to somebody, a friend, my husband, a coaching client, I really like this in you, or I appreciate that, or thank you right. for something. It it, 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 those expressions of appreciation are so rare in people's lives that it, it often kind of takes people off kilter. Yeah, yeah, expressions of gratitude and appreciation.
0: Yeah, and if we flip the question, do you have a favorite expression of love you like to receive?
1: Hmm when it would probably be the same because when <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: when people spot something in me and then appreciate me for that i feel seen and heard right so i feel seen um mm. coming back to your point um so probably <laughs> probably that
0: okay yeah. is there a maxim you like to live your life by
1: Ooh. <clears throat> um, uh, no not really although the, the although for me also what comes up is do no harm so it's yep. it's uh, and that's that's not right either but mm. um there's something about I I don't know if I can contribute anything meaningful to the good of the world but I I can definitely try and not make it worse so <laughs> something like that maybe, yeah.
0: is there a movie that you love so much you've watched it over and over
1: There isn't. Oh, okay. I don't think I've ever seen a film twice, uh, actually. Is that right? I, I'll think on that, but I don't think there is.
0: Okay. And then, so, okay. Is, there, is there a book that's changed your life?
1: Oh. Oh, also, oh. I, I am a voracious reader. So I, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I mean, no. I'm looking at our joint bookshelves, yeah. Peter. Lovely. What a yeah. Um, no, not one. I don't think. Uh, I mean, somebody asked me the other day about. Uh, I read a lot of fiction too, and right. there are a couple of books that I've read uh, a, f- a couple of times, and that's rare. One is *The Bone People* by Kerry Hume, an Australian writer, actually. Mm-hmm. just extraordinary. I think it won the Booker uh, many, many years ago, and that's so beautiful. So yeah The Bone People is the book, it may not have changed my life but it definitely was yeah a beautiful book.
0: Helena thank you so much for your time and uh, probably more importantly for humanity thank you for giving some air and oxygen to the wonderfully important and such significant topic of of love, thank you.
1: Oh it's been a real pleasure and I've loved this conversation, Pete, I really have, and and what I'm taking away to myself is a reminder of the kind of um, be seen, be heard, be held, uh, and also this notion of freedom from, um, that is going to um, incubate for me. Um, thank you so much, it's been a real You're
0: joy. Welcome. Thank you too. Yeah.